Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks for listening in on another episode. Or if this is your first time stopping by, I'm grateful to have you. This podcast is all about the getting started moments, the turning points that got each guest started on a new path toward happiness, the ups and downs of the journey, how they were able to commit to a change, and all the lessons learned along the way. I hope you all enjoyed this particular episode, so let's jump right in and get it started. On this week's episode, I welcome in Jeremy Alexander Newsom, who is an author, advisor, and investing guru. In November of 2014, Jeremy launched Real Life Trading, a company designed to make trading accessible to everyone. This starting point has allowed him to assist and enrich tens of thousands of lives while also growing the company organically to a seven-figure business. And we weave in and out of that story of growing the business, as well as how he learned investing and his first taste at it when his dad helped him invest in Apple computers when he was just a young child. Full disclosure, we are not financial advisors. Anything we talk about in terms of investing advice is purely for entertainment purposes only. Uh, Please consult your financial advisor uh, or do your own research uh, before you make any investments. With that, I hope you all enjoy my conversation with Jeremy. So please welcome in Jeremy Alexander Newsom. Jeremy, welcome to the podcast. Glad to have you on. Dude, super amped, mega stoked, thrilled and excited. I appreciate you having me. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to chat with you and uh, always enjoy meeting new people. And, and obviously that come from varying backgrounds, but all, you know, living a purpose, doing things that they want to do. And and it seems like you've you've obviously do, done that or are doing that. So I want to pry a lot deeper um, and, and I have a feeling we'll probably spend a lot of it around investing money, financials, et cetera, um, and, and maybe where you can help a lot of the audience. Um, and I'll probably, I'll probably pick up some things myself. Um, sure. can, but can you start out? Cause you know, one of the things I want to, you know, someone in your position and, and where you help folks, when I grew, was growing up, I had a lot of, um, I don't want to say bad habits. I, I think it was just no habits around money yeah. or investing or anything. I didn't learn a lot and, and no offense to my parents or anything. They just didn't teach me that stuff. Right. Right. So could you share a little bit about your upbringing first? Like, is that something where you around a lot? Were you involved? Like, did your, did your family friends share a lot about, you know, money and, and the good, the bad, the ugly of it? Share a little no. bit about that. Cause that might help set yeah. the foundation maybe. Hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, initially, just to answer your question in a broad paint, absolutely not, not even a little bit. So I grew up in a single-wide trailer treehouse, like Swiss Family Robinson meets the Beverly Hillbillies meets like Dale Earnhardt Jr. Um, just really, really redneck status in the deep south of Georgia, about thirty minutes south of where they filmed the movie Deliverance. And uh, yeah, man, I grew up so poor. I didn't know what the, I didn't know what AC was until I was twelve. So very, very uh, humble beginnings. I was happy, just didn't have any money. And it all changed, man. Crazy as it sounds, from the movie Forrest Gump. I was watching that with my dad. I was at the age of six, and it was me, my dad, and my older brother Jerry Roger. And about eighty percent of the way through the movie, Forrest Gump says that Lieutenant Dan invested into a fruit company. Yeah. And they no longer had to worry about money anymore. I was like, what a crazy cool concept. So I asked my dad, like, what was he talking about? I didn't know that people could do that. I didn't know that people could not worry about money anymore. What's investing? What's the fruit company? So he did his best to tell me a little bit about Apple computers, right? And how the stock market works. So 
I begged him, man, to have, you know buy some shares of Apple. I was like, listen, Forrest Gump is doing it. He made tons of money. You need to do this. We need to do this. And he, you know, the normal reply I think most dads would give to a six-year-old, like, dude, this is a movie, bro. <laughs> this is fiction. It doesn't work that way. And I was like, well, Apple's a real, com- real company. You told me it was. So I begged him, and eventually he said, listen, if you bring me some money, I'll match it dollar for dollar. So I went and I picked blackberries and I sold them door to door in the summer of 1994, made 1500 bucks. And true to his word, he matched me. Uh, you had to borrow the money from my uncle. So we bought $3,000 with the Apple in 1994. And so that was like my first dive into investing, knowing absolutely nothing, having zero resources, having no knowledge, just like the young ambition of a child, right? Yeah. Not, not having any fear, any hesitation, but knowing pretty early that just the concept of you buy shares of a company, you are sharing in the ownership. Hmm. And the company can go out and make products for you and sell those products and make revenue. And if they make revenue, your shares go up in value. I caught on to that pretty early. Now, if I recall, and I, I don't know how old you are. I was born in 83. I don't mind saying that. So I was, you know, 94 yeah. That age, I didn't know anything about Apple or or those type of things. But if I recall back in those days, it, Apple shares were fairly small. They were they were it wasn't as what it is today. Obviously, the cost per share, right? Right. Now they were super inexpensive. Yeah, super inexpensive. Um, this was, I mean, ironically enough, 1994 was like almost the rock bottom. That was right when like Steve Jobs got kicked out. Yeah. <laughs> and so we're talking like the bottom bottom of Apple. And, you know, if, had I held them, Brian, we're talking that investment, $3,000 investment would be worth like 14 million. What, I, how long did you keep it for? What was the, if you don't mind sharing, I'm yeah. curious. Oh like, yeah. That so, story. <laughs> we sold it when we moved, we moved from Georgia to Florida. My dad got a real job. Uh, he, he finally decided like, you know, I need to make some money here. Um, so he got a job as a pharmaceutical salesman and he moved to Florida in 2000. So I was 12 and Again, sheer luck, obviously, but it was the top of the tech bubble. So as we were moving, I kind of just asked him, like, hey, how's my Apple stock doing? He pulls over, you know, we check it out, and I'm up like 500%. He's like, bro, this is the best trade you'll ever make, ever, in your in your life. Sell right now, and let's take this money and buy something really safe with it. So we bought some bonds. Hmm. But, yeah, we made like $12,000 profit on that trade. So he handed me $12,000 as a 12-year-old. I've been hooked ever since. I was like, this is all I want to do is figure out this crazy magical world of money. Mm. So is that what, like when you're, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think of what I was doing in high school and in college and just kind of a dumb kid, just, you know, chasing around and <laughs> not doing much. Is that what you were doing yeah. too? Or no. were you actually like heavily investing or learning or educating yourself? Like what, when did you actually, you said you were hooked, but did you actually move through yeah. fruition onto it? You know, it's weird, man. Like it depends on where you are in life and how clearly you can see certain things and how sometimes you're just blind to it. I, even though I knew I wanted to do, I had no idea how to get there. And I asked my dad when I was like 12 or 13, I was kind of like, all right, so dad, what next? What do I do next? Should I join the military? Because all the men in my military, all the men in my family were military at that point. So he he laughed because I'm a pansy. (laughs) he's like no dude military is not for you but he said go study money that's what he told me to do go study money i still i mean what does that mean to a 13 year old so i was like okay one day i'll get a degree in finance right and that that was kind of like the epitome for me so i was like let me study and get good grades in high school 
and I'll go to college and I'll get a degree in finance and then I will learn more about the stock market. And that's what I did. Went to the University of Florida, go Gators. And I graduated in 09. But when I was going there, Brian, I was really hoping to learn all about day trading, stocks, options, Forex, commodities, technical analysis. And what I really learned was macro engineering, uh, accounting, a lot of accounting, coupon yield rates, bonds, mortgage amortization, a lot of mortgages, a lot of future value of money and just really, really boring math. I didn't want to learn at all. So I ended up switching degrees and um, I, I worked at Nationwide Insurance at the time. So I worked myself through college. So I worked full-time, went to school full-time. And when I was at Nationwide, I had a boss who called me in for a peer review or, you know, one of those employee review things, sat me down. And before we started, bro, I could see the background. Like when people, when I say stock market to people who have no idea what the stock market is, you have a, an image in your brain probably of like computer screens and like random lines all over the place. That's what I saw. And I have no idea what I was looking at, but I said, is that the stock market? He's like, yeah. Are you interested in learning about the stock market? And I was like, I want to know this more than anything. Please tell me everything you know. So he did. He became like my very first mentor. And that was about the age of 18 and a half, 19. And from then on, man, every book, like that's when I finally learned what studying money meant. Reading books with the word money in the title, going to seminars, going to conferences, going to online discussions, groups, forums, in-person meetings. If it was stock market, option market, or money market related, dude, I was all in on that education. What do you think you, if you could kind of reflect back to that age, or maybe even a little bit before, what do you know now? Now, you know a lot of stuff, but like, what was like the most eye-opening you think maybe in the last 10 or 12 years of like, wow, I had this self-limiting belief about money that's so different? Bro, it's like the best question of all time. I have so many. <laughs> I have a million. Um, the, the big one for me, I think the one that held me back the most was if I become wealthy or I become rich, my family members and or my friends are going to ask me for money. And if I say no, then they're going to perceive me as an evil, great, greedy a-hole and I don't want to become an evil, greedy a-hole. So it's a lot easier for me not to make the money and never tell them no, rather than just have the money and tell them no. That was a subconscious thing. So you're talking deep, deep, deep mental belief of I'm a self-sabotage and I'm going to make all this money and I'm going to become an evil person. That was my belief because you're told that a lot when you're impoverished. If you get money, you're going to change. You're not going to be the person who you are now. You're a good salt of the earth. You work hard. You study hard. You're a great, you're a great guy, Jeremy. You don't need to get rich. And I don't know, man. I just grew up in this like belief that making money would turn me into an evil person. And it hasn't at all, right? Like at, at all. It, it amplifies who people are on the inside. And the truth is, man, I, I really truly believe I want to give and provide and help so much to so many people. And I do the absolute best I can with that on a daily, weekly, and monthly basis. Money doesn't change you for the worse. It actually changes you for the better. It will amplify and just expand what's in your heart on a daily, weekly, and monthly basis. I, I had a similar, you know, kind of, I, I don't know if it was actually exactly to that extent, but more like 
money's bad and like people that are wealthy or rich, yeah, they're kind of bad, not bad people, but like they're greedy, they're yep. they're they're slimy, they're trying to get whatever. And so it's like, if I don't have yeah. a ton of money, I'm a good person. And I said, well, you know, you're a good person. You care about people. You're compassionate. That doesn't change to your point. That's not going to, and once I get over that belief, like that's not going to change just because I have money. It's just yeah. going to create new opportunities for myself yeah. where I can help people or I can do yeah. more things that I want to do to help people. You know, so uh, to your point, like th- that self-limiting belief, it kind of holds you back from actually, you know, creating better for yourself and for the others around you, you know? My man, you nailed it. Cause we have, we, I say we as an I, I still have tons of limiting beliefs about money. Millions, I'm sure. And I work, try, I try to work through them as much as I can, as frequently as I can. I still struggle with this. A lot of people are going to struggle with this. It's something that's a, it's a constant, never-ending improvement aspect of myself. And I think anyone who's listening to your phenomenal podcast should just keep that in mind. This is, it's going to be something that you're going to do, deal with and work with for a very long time. It's not like a one thing fixes everything. Another example, money doesn't grow on trees. I was told that forever. Like, money doesn't grow in trees. Like, oh, oh, oh yeah. They are, okay, Jeremy, you want to go buy that thing? What am I going to do? Just walk out, like get money from my money tree and give it to you? <laughs> and the ironic part is, like they're really ironic. Like money literally grows on, like that's what apples are, right? Like you buy them in a store, they were on the tree. You know, money is literally growing on trees. During Christmas, people spend money for pine cones and for wreaths. Right, to put on their door. In fact, people will spend money to take a tree and put it inside their house. So if anything, trees are money, right? So it's not only our, does money absolutely grow in trees, but trees are actually money itself. And that's a belief that doesn't, you wouldn't think would radif- radically change your life. But when you start removing those tiny, tiny little blocks, it's like a, like a creek. You have a bunch of little rocks in a creek and you remove the rocks, the creek will run better. Good point. Um, so how, uh, if, if we go, and by the way, as you know, as I have to say, I'll say it in the intro, this is for entertainment purposes. We're not giving financial advice here, but in your kind of history, if you will, your learning, your education, what is, what have you learned? What's kind of some of the simple things you've learned about, and you can go into stock market, you can go into other, you know, bonds, other stuff you want to chat about, but what have you learned is kind of the basics. If someone's listening in, like, I don't even know where to get started. They were, you know, they were you when you look at the wall of the stock market, you know, a dozen yeah. years ago, um, <laughs> where, where are some areas to at least consider or think about or explore deeper? Let's start with our limiting beliefs about the stock market. Right. Number one, you don't have to be crazy rich to get started. That's a really good one. So remember, I was six with no money, no education of any kind. Like, I mean, I was six, right? So like, what are you gonna what are you gonna really know? <laughs> yep. You don't have to be good at math. Stock trading is a lot of second grade math over and over and over and over again. Example, you buy a thousand shares of any company on earth. And if that stock goes up two dollars. You bought a thousand of them, right? You bought a thousand units and that goes up two bucks. You make $2,000. That's it. That's the math. And if you want to protect yourself, risk 50 cents. So on a thousand shares, 50 cents, that's $500. If it goes up $2, you make 2000. You just risk $500 to make $2,000. Amazing. So now the stock market is also not gambling. 
because that's a very, very popular limiting belief is, oh, you're a day trader. Oh, you love to gamble. Full disclosure, I do love to gamble. Yes, but not in the stock market, like at the roulette table. That's where I like my gambling. I, in the stock market, is a process for me. It is a very, very specific thing that I do. And it's just a lot of second grade math. So that's the first thing is start with all these fun limiting beliefs that we might have about the stock market. Number two, you know enough about the market. A lot of people say they won't. But if you're looking at trading, what companies do you love, use, interact with? What products are you in love with? Let's take Lulu, for example. I'm wearing some Lulus right now, if you're listening to the show. Now, Lulu um, is a great company. They come out with shorts. They come out with pants. They have all kinds of great things. In COVID, they were at $180 a share, approximately. Right now, they're at $317 a share. They went from 180 to 480 in a year. Now, that's $300 a share. So if you bought 10 shares of Lulu, which at the time would have been like $1,100 investment, you would have made, on 10 shares, you'd have made $3,000, which should be enough to buy your Lulu for like the next three, four years combined. So now you can buy Lulu's for free. So secondly, just trade companies that you really like, that you really love, that you totally understand, that you are enamored by their products. Chipotle, Brian. You probably do know this, but what's the stock price of Chipotle? You had to take a while. I, I don't know that. Um, okay. Let me take a guess here. I'm yeah. going to say $82. It's a great guess. That's what most people say, because $82 is exactly the price of Starbucks right now. Oh, is it? Okay. Check this out, dude. This is funny, Brian. You're going to crack up. You're going to smile. Chipotle is at $1,400 a share right now. Wow. It's crazy. $1,400. So right before COVID, um, Chipotle was trading at like, let's just say $800 a share. So it's a, it's essentially doubled in the last year and a half. Now, again, this is not a, this is not investment advice. I'm just letting you know, this is what I did in the past. About a year and some change ago, I bought five shares of Chipotle when it was trading at $1,000. Full disclosure, I love burritos. So after that, I bought $5,000 of Chipotle, five shares at $1,000 per share. Three, more, three months later, Chipotle went from $1,000 a share to $1,300 a share. Right, It's $300 increase. 300 times five is $1,500. I don't pay for Chipotle burritos anymore. Right, that fifteen hundred bucks, dude. Cashed it out, went to the ATM, put in my burrito money. Anytime I go to Chipotle, I pull out some money from there. I don't pay for Chipotle ever again. Now, if I need to, I can go take another trade, and then if it goes up, I can sell Chipotle and I can just replenish my burrito jar, if you will. But that's a way to think about investing: is it's easy, it's exciting, it's simple, it's not difficult. Well, I think you'd mentioned it earlier. It's like you don't have to have you know millions of dollars. You can start today. You can put a little bit in, buy the companies you like, and and again, we're and now we're as we're recording this, it's a quite a volatile time in in yeah, in the in the the stock market and stuff. But that happens, though. I think, and that's one of the things you know I learned a lot, and I learned this a lot through with crypto as well. Is like you have to zoom out. You know, you can, if you look on the the hour or day or even week. It could look doom and gloom or could look, yeah, like the greatest thing in the world. But as you zoom out, you start seeing kind of these incremental improvements over time. It, is that another kind of encouragement, I guess, for folks is like, you know, you, it's, 
most people shouldn't day trade, I would assume. I could be wrong. You may disagree with that. I mean, most people may not have the time to do that. But at least if you're going to invest, you have to look at it as a long-term investment. Would you agree there? Oh, my gosh. You're spot on. Uh, Everyone should invest. Everyone should try day trading to see if you like it. Um, Just to spend an hour, hour and a half, because I think the five best skills in the world that anyone could have and master to create incredible exponential income, number one is sales. Number two is software. Number three is liquid asset trading, a.k.a. stocks. Uh, number four is real estate and number five is public speaking. You can master or even become relatively average at any one of those five, your, your income is going to increase exponentially. But number two, when it comes to investing, brother, you are spot on. Like investing is a long-term game. We know that we got to do it cautiously, but you do want to buy discounts, right? Stocks are an asset and they're an intangible asset. Most of the time they can be. Intangible assets are worth more than physical assets. Time is an intangible asset. Reputation is an intangible asset, right? Those are worth more than money. Money is actually your least valuable asset. It's your least viable. And most of us spend our most valuable asset time to get our least viable asset money. It's the other way around. We got to figure out how to do, make, get more time with our money. So the investing does that, right? The investing in, let's say, Lulu. You buy 10 shares every three months for the last four years, you are murderously rich. Like you're doing, you're doing phenomenal, right? You have enough money cash to buy essentially any house that you want probably. And you could do that with tons of different companies. I mean, I could go down the list of like 75 different companies that it works so well if you do the exact same strategy over the last six or seven years. So it's not a get rich quick, but it is a get rich slowly approach for sure what did you you mentioned you were um you, you did the nationwide thing you were you know, yeah. as, as you're in college what was the plan after that like when did you decide to get into actually like helping and educating people and kind of going down that path was there a did you kind of work a couple of jobs in between and figure it out like what was kind of the journey the you know maybe through this last decade so if anyone wants to hear the whole really, really messy mess. Um, my, I have a podcast called broke to woke.com with me and my, uh, my business partner, Brittany Turner. Uh, cause it's, <laughs> there's some messy details in there. Um, but essentially when I worked at nationwide, man, I didn't really know what exactly what I was going to do. I just knew that I, w- I wanted to climb the corporate ladder. I knew you could do that. And I figured $120,000 a year, corporate car, uh, you know, corporate credit card, could expense most of the things I do, make $120,000 a year. Like that was, that'd be a good life. And that's kind of what I, the path I was thinking of, I was going to hit. And at the, I worked there from 18 to 24. Now the time, there's two times I knew I was going to quit nationwide. Well, three, but I'll, do, I'll tell two stories. One story was I bought a silver stock in my 401k. And the silver stock is still around today. First majestic silver. I bought a thousand shares of it at $9. And it went up to 12 and I sold it. Made $3,000 in a month. That was more than I made at work. Right? I made about, at the time, I was like 20, 22-ish years old. I made about $2,400 a month after taxes. I made $3,000 on that trade, man. It took seconds, right? It was clicks of my finger, which was nutty. So I absolutely realized at that point in time, I was going to leave Nationwide. Another point in time is I had a job where 
uh, essentially reviewed high-end car claims. The lady who was in the job before me, over the last two years that she worked there, she had paid out, I don't know, like a million and a half in claims. I was approaching two years in that position, and I had only paid out half a million. So I was net saving the company a million dollars, a million. I was like, hey, guys, I, I think I deserve a piece of that pie. I saved you a million on the bottom line. Give me 10%. They're like, no, <laughs> absolutely not. And I thought that was insane. I thought that was insane. So I was like, all right, well, I'm not going to work here because you're not really incentivizing me to do a better job. I could pay a, a million and a half. You wouldn't care. I pay half a million, work harder. You don't care. So why, why should I? They say, no, got it. Going to quit. So that was two out of the three stories. So when I quit there, man, I just, I got another job at another company just doing financial sales, uh, nothing glamorous. And that was a two-year stint, which was mostly commission-based. And while I was doing that, I was trading full-time uh, because they allowed me and assisted me to work whenever I wanted to. And so I had a very, very flexible schedule. And I traded probably 12 hours a day. Like I was in front of the, in front of the computer on the charts, really hitting it hard. And on the other time, I was making sales and doing, doing quite well at that company uh, for two years. And then... Once I, the income and the expenses and all that, like that second grade math, when you start making more or you have a bigger safety net or you feel like you're at a spot where your expenses are low enough to be okay and your <laughs> income is okay where you can cover, I just took the leap, man, made the, made the jump. Wow. When did you get, you mentioned something earlier about real estate. When did you get into that or how much you, is that, is that something that's a big part of what you do in terms of real estate investing? No. So of that list, um, that, that list of five things, the two things I'm weakest at is software and real estate. I have a little bit of software exposure, but from a company standpoint, not really from a knowledge standpoint in the real estate space, I only have two or three, $2.8 million worth of real estate right now, which is, I don't know. I mean, some people might think it's great. It's not, it's really not that much. Uh, I don't have tons of real estate exposure at all. I do want more. I know a lot about real estate, but here's the, the struggle that I have. Real estate is so boring. It's so boring, dude. I know tons of real estate investors who end up trading stocks because real estate is so secure, safe, and easy. If the numbers work, the math works, you make money. You do that for five years and just always make money on every single trade. You're not even challenged anymore. It's boring. And it, it sounds sad to say in some devices and some, in some circles, but that's the case. So with stocks, it's exciting because every single day it's different, right? Every single day. There's challenges, there's updates, there's tweaks, there's adjustments, there's new things that you have to learn. There's new stocks, there's new companies, there's new movements. And it's also very liquid. So in real estate, the hardest thing, Brian, is finding the deal. That's the biggest challenge that we will have in real estate. In the stock market and trading, the easiest part is finding the deal. That, that part's done for you every day. You can trade the same stock every day and no one will care. Also, liquidity. If you took $100 million and put it into any stock in the S&P 500, 500 of them, right? Choose. Any $100 million, you wouldn't even move the needle. You would even show up on the radar. Like no one would even know you were there, Right? You take a hundred million, buy the stock, it goes up 10%, you make $10 million and you sell it. You're not even a blip on the radar, man. You wouldn't even come across the screen. That's how much money is in the stock market. 
And it's very, very easy, very simple to go in and out of big positions. And I think that's exciting to me. Yeah. For, for, for folks though, that might not be as, or maybe have the risk tolerance, I guess, to that. They, they might feel like, man, if I put in 500, maybe it goes down. Like, how do I do that? Is you're saying real estate would be more a, a safer bet, but you, but your money's yeah. tied up, but your money's tied yes. up though. hundred percent. So, I mean, real estate is absolutely a safe, a safer bet. There's still very big risk with real estate. Mm. And um, again, it's a lot easier to get liquidated and, and to be flexible in stocks. It's a lot harder in real estate because if the real estate market crashes and you own a own a property that might not be cash flowing as much as you want it to be, and you go under a certain net reserve, and the bank has to you know, rebalance their asset sheet, and they call you and they go, "Hey, man, you got to pay thirty five percent of the apartment complex, and you own ten apartment complexes, you can get hosed really quickly in real estate." Mm. Um, it's rare, but I mean, that's what 2008, that's what that happened. You know, I mean, tons of people lost hundreds of billions of dollars in real estate yeah. um, when, the, when the prices fell. So anyway, yes, real estate absolutely is safer because it, you can do two things that you can't do in stocks, forced appreciation. It's a lot easier in real estate than it is in stocks. So for example, if I need to force the value of a property to go up, I can go in blood, sweat, and tears and put bricks down and do landscaping and paint the windows and fix the, the cabinets and put in new refrigerators. That's going to appreciate the value of the property, right? That's simple. In stocks, like there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do. Like you just got to be here. You got to be there for the ride. And so, yeah, there's, there's benefits to both. But the other part of it is a lot of individuals will say, well, real estate's safe because I can touch it. Well, mm -hmm. most people don't know that you can buy insurance on stocks. So you can buy insurance on real estate, right? Like just like you, Brian, you have real you have an insurance policy on your home. You probably have an insurance policy on your car and your your life and all that other stuff. You can have insurance on your stocks. Hmm. So you buy insurance, stock goes down, insurance policy goes up in value. You can also rent out your stocks just like you can rent out a house in real estate. And you can collect monthly cash flow from doing that as well. So there are ways, once you start peeling the curtain back and you spend a little bit of time learning this, very safe, very legal, happens all the time. People just don't know that it exists. Once you know that it exists and you know how to do it, stocks can start getting a little bit more interesting, even more so than real estate, in my opinion. When does the, well, I guess maybe first to ask is, uh, yeah, because you could go type in on Google and... <laughs> who knows how many search results come up, like any guidance on where to start in terms of if someone wanted to learn more on stocks on trading, is there a couple avenues you'd point them down? I would. Um, there's very limited resources that are reliable and trustworthy. This is a really good plug for my company. So I'll go ahead and take that moment to do so. Go ahead. <laughs> I, I have a company called real life trading where I teach people this stuff for free. Now, when I say for free, like there's no sales pitch. It's legitimate, actual information. I teach it and I go, hey, if you want to learn more, and you want to do some really fun high-end stuff with me, sure, there's ways you can spend money to business, right? But the free aspect, think about like a bachelor's degree. It is extremely valuable. Um, next would be a company that I started with. It's called Motley Fool. Mm, yeah. And I read all their articles. I love all their write-ups. Um, I don't take all their advice or their opinions, but they're a very good, interesting, cool place to start. Number three, 
investopedia.com, right? Go there and browse it. It's just like Wikipedia. It's free, super valuable, super useful, but there's not tons of handholding uh, or examples or really pretty charts or graphs. It's just, you got to kind of study it yourself. Um, and the number four, man, YouTube university. If you have a question, type it into YouTube. There is a video for it. I have learned that in the last five years of my life. Like any question, why is my water heater broken? You know, how to fix a lamp bulb, like whatever question you have, there's a video for it on YouTube. So if you have a question, how to rent out my stocks, you can type that into YouTube. You'll be able to find a video. Tons of free content out there. Use YouTube, use my website. I will guide individuals to learn it, to learn so much more than they already know entirely for free and give them an insane value in the process. No, that's awesome, Jeremy. What um, I, I have to ask, just because it's something I, I spent a lot of time in is, is around the digital asset space, cryptocurrency. Are, are you involved in that at all? Is that something that interests you? Heavy, heavy, bro. I'm in for sure. What are your thoughts on, well, obviously the volatility, but again, so this is probably one of the topics where when I talk to people about it, and I'm not talking friends, family, have conversations. You, you mentioned a stock. Hey, you should look at that. Okay. That's easy to get into. You start talking about Bitcoin or you start talking about Ethereum or any other altcoins, anything of that nature. It's kind of like uh, folks get a little more standoffish. What are, what, what are the conversations you're having with people? How do you kind of get them over the edge to think differently? My man, it just comes down to questions, right? Asking questions and trying to come up with what makes crypto valuable. A lot of individuals that have a hard time piecing the value behind it have lived in America their whole lives. So if you take Bitcoin, for example, imagine that you live in Venezuela and the government controls all of your currency and you have no say so about what it does and it's able to print and inflate the value of your currency so that you lose half of your net worth overnight. I mean, that happens. That, that happens a lot in a lot of countries, Cuba, Russia, North Korea, Venezuela, like the list goes on. You start doing that. Now you start having an actual, okay, wait a minute. So there you talk about, you tell me that there's a currency out there that no government controls at all. And anyone can send it back and forth from any part of the world, any country. It's borderless, no credit check required. You can bank the unbanked. You're able to send money. If you, if you work in the U.S., you can send money to Indonesia, the Philippines, Brazil, Colombia. You can send money back and forth immediately in seconds for pennies, and no one can say yes or no. Now you're starting to go somewhere. And that's what, that's a, that was a purpose of Bitcoin. That's why it was created. You had a few other blockchains created since then. I like to tell people... Um, Bitcoin's like digital gold and Ethereum, which you mentioned is more like digital concrete. So you're not going to build tons and tons and tons of things on a gold foundation, but it's a store of value. Concrete, however, does have value. It's less, but it's so much more pliable. There's so many things you can do with it. That's very, very useful. And I don't know, man, I think that's hugely beneficial in my opinion. Well, that's, that's, and again, I, I probably know enough to be dangerous compared to yourself or maybe other folks, but that's kind of how I try to explain it too with what I've gained over the last, you know, four or five years, you know, looking at the space is that 
Ethereum is kind of more, or even some of the other um, smart contract blockchains and stuff is more like, it's almost kind of more like you're buying a stock because it's like you're building on top of something, you know, kind of like a company would almost do versus Bitcoin being more relatable to gold or, or what we think of as money. Um, I, I guess it's a do too disparaging, uh, I guess, pass on those. I don't know if you agree with that or. Yeah. It, I mean, honestly, man, it just, it depends. It's everyone has their viewpoints. Everyone has their perspectives. Um, I, I think that there's a lot of value cases for both. Just it, it can depend on what country you live in and what currency is the most viable and how they move and how they update, and how they change it. I, but the key is, in my personal opinion, man, it, if you, ha- if it has a chart, it has a heart. I think you can trade anything once you learn the basics maybe a little bit of additional technical analysis. Mm-hmm. You can get pretty good at this stuff. You can pretty close nail some levels of where I should be buying this and where I should be accumulating this and, and how I should be doing it and how long I should hold. There's a practice, but again, it's a top three skill set. Sales, software, stocks, or liquid asset trading, top three skill set for income creation and for monetary expansion. So if someone's getting started today, let's say they're a college kid, they have a few bucks, they have whatever, again, not investing in vice, where would you guide them? Would you guide them more on the stock route? Do you think there's other avenues for them to kind of get started if they were looking to kind of dip their toe in? Absolutely. I mean, Robinhood is a really good resource for buying stocks. I mean, I, I encourage a lot of people to use it because it's very educational. It's really easy simple to use. It's free to start. It's free to trade with. They're not perfect by any means. There's definitely some, some slowdowns and some glitches, but it's a really, really useful place to start. There's two other apps out there. One's called Acorns. The other's called Stash. Very similar. They take your savings accounts and slowly round them up and take the excess cash and put into the stock market. Uh, I think those are viable tools, but get some education. Just go to reallifetrading.com. It's, it's free. It's like spend two hours of your life and you'll learn more than they'll ever teach you in college. I can assure you. So Jeremy, any last, uh, before we kind of part ways here, any last thoughts, comments, asks of the audience, maybe things uh, (laughs) that you would share anything uh, as a lasting impression? Honestly, man, I love the advice my dad gave me. And that's what I would tell anyone here. Study money but I will have the ability to now tell you how to do it. And that is the easiest form. If you want to succeed, you must read. Get a bunch of books with the word money in the title. I see tons of them behind you. And I can, rec- I can recognize <laughs> I have a, I have a few here. That's right. I can recognize a few. Uh, and so anything with the word like income or money or growth, right? Start reading those books. The 4-Hour Workweek, incredible book. Rich Dad, Poor Dad, life-changing. The Richest Man in Babylon, paradigm shift, huge alteration, right, in your mind. You're a Badass at Making Money by Jen Sincero, incredible. Money Master the Game by Tony Robbins, amazing. Money Grows on Trees by me. And get a few other books that have the word money or currency or monetary value or richness or something in the, in the title that you want to study. Rich people hide secrets where poor people will not look in a book. Got to get into those guys. That's how you want to study. That's how you want to grow. If you want to double your net worth, however much you're worth right now, if you want to double that in the next year, read more books about money, 
and try to have some really massive takeaways and your life will change forever. Jeremy, that's a, uh, that's a great point to end on. I like that's a mic drop there. Um, what, uh, so everyone can find you. It's real life trading.com. Yep. Best place to find you that's anywhere it. on what, what social watering holes are you on? Anything Ooh. specific? I'm all over a man. Uh, I'm on Twitter a lot. I, I like Twitter. I think it's fun. I'm on YouTube. You know, I have real life trading YouTube. I'm on Instagram. If you search for me, my name does have two R's J E R R E M Y. My dad's name was Jerry. So it's Jerry and me, Jeremy. That's how that happened. Thanks mom. <laughs> yeah. Track me down, man. I'm all over the place. Just like you trying to be cool and trying to enrich lives. Jeremy, thanks so much for uh, being on the podcast. It was a lot of fun, man. My pleasure. You got it. Hey, everyone. Just one more quick thing before you skip along in your day. You know, if you do enjoy this content or other things that I've put out or just enjoy learning more and trying to adapt your thinking uh, to become happier each and every day, there's a couple of things that you may benefit from. Um, If you go to my website, brianondraco.com forward slash subscribe, you can sign up for my newsletter that goes out once a week. And that's really a digest of a lot of information that I gather throughout the weeks, whether it's a new video that I think could be informative or a podcast that's been valuable to me, book that I might read, etc. Um, secondly, I blog three times a week, and these are more micro blogs, one to five minute reads, short digestible blogs that'll send right to your inbox on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning. So check that out on my website, brianondraco.com forward slash subscribe if you think it's something you might enjoy. I hope you all have a great day, a phenomenal week, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Mm-hmm.